Packers Daily with Jason Mertides. Welcome to your Friday, May 8th edition of Flyers Daily. Player profiles will continue today, and we've got a good one for you today, and he'll be joining the show as well. Ivan Provorov will join us here for his player profile. Of course, Ivan had that conference call last week and even talked about um, as he's one, of, he's one of the very few players especially in North America, that's had the ability to skate. He's got a private rink that he's able to go to and skate. He said the ice surface is about the size of a tennis court, uh, not quite obviously uh, a normal nhl size rink, but it's ice, uh, a chance to put on the skate, skate around, shoot around a little bit, uh, a private uh, rink that he's able to, to skate on up in the Wilkes-Barre-Scranton area where he is staying with his uh, old billet family from when he came over when he was 14 years old. We'll talk about that in our conversation uh, as well. Also in this episode, uh, this past Monday, May the 4th, was a uh, anniversary of a pretty big moment in Flyers history. It was the five-overtime game against the Pittsburgh Penguins, May 4th, 2000. The Flyers won that game 2-1, to one, and the goaltender in that game for the Philadelphia Flyers was Brian Boucher. He had to make 57 saves in the game, and he was a rookie goaltender at that point. And after going back and watching the game a couple of days ago as well, uh, didn't even realize that the backup goaltender that year was John Van Beesbrook. And neither of those guys were really considered a number one. They would, and Bush will talk about it, kind of play uh, three games uh, despite the outcome. And then the other guy would get three games. And Craig Ramsey was filling in for Roger Nielsen at that time. He was out sick. And um, Brian Boucher ended up taking the mantle in the playoffs. And, of course, in his rookie year, played that five-overtime game. No margin for error, five overtimes. And he actually got a chance to watch the game, at least most of it, for the first time since that night 20 years ago uh, when he played in it. So we'll talk to Brian Boucher about that and a much uh, about a ton more. A lot of great stuff in this episode. Brian Elliott, Flyers goaltender, uh, will join us in Monday's episode. So make sure you tune in for that. And if you've missed any of the player profile episodes, uh, be sure to go back and check those out as well. Uh, right there in your uh, iTunes uh, link in, in, in your library, if you will. And check those out. Also, leave us a rating and review if you can. Uh, and make sure you subscribe to this podcast. Leaving us a rating and review uh, helps other Flyer fans find this podcast as well. So player profiles continue. And right now we'll do the player profile of Ivan Provorov with him. This is my conversation with Flyers defenseman Ivan Provorov. Player profiles continue here on Flyers Daily. And joining us right now, Flyers defenseman Ivan Provorov. Ivan, how you been? How you making out? And uh, how's the pause treating you? Uh, I've been good. You know, just uh, training, uh, working out, trying to stay in shape. And, uh, you know, just spending time with uh, my billets here where I'm staying. And, uh, you know, just waiting to get back on the ice. Before we get to the training part, I, I got to ask you about your billet family because you know a lot of people here around Philadelphia don't really know the extent of what a billet family means um, mm-hmm. for a hockey player. You came over and, and you joined them when when you were like fifteen. No, over? I was I was fourteen. So when I was thirteen, I started coming over for a bunch of tournaments, and uh, I partially stayed with them uh, for you know. A, week at a time two weeks at a time and then uh, when I was 14 uh, and I moved for my first year here I I, I permanently stayed with them for the whole year and so, uh, and then I ended up playing two full years here in Wilkesbury so I ended up staying with them for two, two full years and a little bit um, tell people what that, that means to a young hockey player yeah, like yourself. it's just, important 
uh, like youth hockey. It's uh, there are families of family that you stay uh, stay with, and uh, in youth hockey, it's usually uh, someone on the team that you know you play with. One of the kids, you kind of stay with him and uh, you know his parents, and then when you go on to junior hockey, there are families just uh, a family, the volunteers that you know, wants to help the community that has the hockey team and uh, maybe their parent, their kids are a little older, but they still want to like uh, take care of someone and help someone. Or maybe someone just w- wasn't able to have the kids, so they want to help and, uh, someone and have uh, kind of kids this way. So it's just a very nice thing to do for, from the people and be able to help the kids, uh, you know, with uh, a place to stay with, uh, you know, food and everything like that. So it's, uh, you know, a big part of hockey and a big part of uh, hockey players' life. And it's a special relationship for you, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. You know, I, um, you know, everywhere I went, I've made a really good relationship. I have a really good relationship with, uh, you know, all the billets that I stayed with. And, uh, you know, I keep keep in touch with everyone and have a close relationship with every everyone I stayed with. What went into the decision for you to go to Wilkes-Barre and, um, and stay with your billet family as opposed to either staying in Philadelphia or going to another location during the pause when they said that NHL players could disband for a bit? Yeah, I mean, uh, it was kind of an easy decision. You know, I, you know I'm, I'm very close with them. I have my best friend as, you know, my two best friends are the billet brothers here and, uh, uh, there's three other billet sisters that I'm very close with too. So, and, uh, you know, I, uh, just because everyone's kind of have uh, a lot of going on in their own lives, like two girls are finishing high school and then the other two boys, uh, two boys and the other sister are in college. So, um, yeah, everyone's busy. So this, this year we haven't got to see each other a lot. So, yeah, it was kind of an easy decision to go spend some time and catch up. And it gives you that camaraderie during that period as well. Uh, I understand from your conference call that you had with uh, reporters last week, too, that you've had some ability to get out and skate a little bit on a private rink. Um, what's that mm-hmm. been like? I know that's real important to you. You know, when your season ends, you're back on the ice probably quicker than anybody maybe in the league. Uh, how important has that been for you to be able to actually put skates on and get out there and at least move around a little bit and engage? Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely lucky and fortunate to be able to skate and uh, stay in shape, uh, like, uh, on the ice. You know, I've been also, uh, you know, working out every day, too. So, trying to do the best that I can to stay in shape and uh, be prepared for when the season resumes. But definitely, definitely lucky to be able to skate because if I wasn't, uh, I'll be climbing the wall right now, probably. Yeah, I remember a couple of years ago when you guys got knocked out of the playoffs that you were dealing with a shoulder injury and uh, there's video of you about a week later on the ice skating by yourself. It's just, it just speaks to the dedication that you bring. But how's it been for you mentally to all of a sudden, you know, you guys are 69 games into this season. You're down in Florida getting ready to take on the lightning on that Thursday night and they tell you uh, no game tonight. We don't know when we're coming back and you still don't know when you're coming back or if you're coming back. How's that been for you to handle kind of mentally when you're just so locked into a season in the flow of it? Yeah, definitely. I think uh, the pause came, uh, you know, at the wrong time we were playing. Uh, we were hot. We were playing our best hockey of the season probably the best hockey that I've been a part of uh, 
and we've been playing in the past four years. You know, we were rolling. You know, everyone was contributing, so it was, uh, it was a lot of fun, and it was uh, you know really disappointing that the season kind of stopped when it did. But you know, for us, I think we're trying to stay. Everyone is trying to stay in shape. Everyone's trying to stay positive, and you know, um, being with you know close friends and uh and working out and you know skating has been helping me to stay kind of you know uh positive and uh hopefully we don't have to stay away for too long and uh you know uh be able to get back on the ice and playing soon what was the addition of uh, or what has that addition of Matt Niskanen meant to you because you guys have great on ice chemistry and to have a you know a sage veteran like that um, for you and at this point in your career is a great thing and you guys are you know facing the toughest matchups game in and game out a lot of great great players in this league uh, just looking at the division and Crosby and, and Malkin and then you have Ovechkin I mean every team's got a great line that you guys have to contend with so, so what has that been like uh, Matt Niskanen addition to the team and and the and the chemistry that you two have on the ice and maybe off the ice yeah it's it's awesome uh you know niski is a very easygoing guy uh he on the ice he brings tons of experience you know he won the cup uh he played on a lot of winning teams so he knows how to win um you know he's very steady very uh, you know, very good at everything. So, and doesn't, you know, he doesn't make many mistakes out there. And uh, chemistry-wise, yeah, I think uh, we read off each other real well. We, you know, try to get off, get get out of those, get out of our zone real quick. And then, uh, you know, in the neutral zone, uh, either move it to each other or uh, move the puck up the ice as fast as we can. And then offensively, we just, you know, try to create. And uh, you know, we've been. Uh, doing a good job so far and uh you know it's been real fun and real uh, real pleasure playing with him you guys and you just alluded to it you guys are really rolling you won nine of your last 10 games um the team is playing uh, its best hockey in your tenure here you've been with the team now this is your fourth season um is there a feeling amongst the group and the defensive groups as well that you know this is a team that can do some damage and, and maybe special yeah definitely i think uh you know, when we got got on that winning streak, we definitely had that feeling. And uh, you know, every every team we faced, no matter what was happening, in, you know, in the first, in the second, or even in the third period, we knew that you know we were going to come back, or we knew we were going to keep the lead and win the game. And we just kind of kept going and played uh, well all 60 minutes. I think even. Uh, even the last game that we lost against Boston to nothing, I think we, I think we outplayed them, uh, and uh, um, you know, deserved a little bit more than uh, a loss. But you know, it's hockey. But even after that loss, we didn't like. Um, you know, nothing's changed. We were going with the right attitude into Tampa, and uh, we're going to try to win uh, win that game and keep playing our best hockey. But one of the traits you guys had is not losing back-to-back games. and That's a difficult thing to do in the NHL because there's so many good teams, but you guys were on this role of not losing back-to-back games for months. Um, talk about this coaching staff, playing under Elaine Vigneault, uh, Mike Yo, uh, with the decor uh, having a lot of responsibility there. Well, what's that been like uh, playing under AV and this new coaching staff? Yeah, it's been awesome. I think, 
you know, they definitely helped uh, our team to take the game, uh, you know, to the next level. And, uh, you know, a lot of uh, systems that we changed compared to last year helped our team and, uh, you know, just made us play tighter and uh, made us play faster. You know, we're defending earlier. We're getting the puck back early. And uh, in previous years, we kind of, gave the pack uh, the puck back way too much and then sat back uh way too much in my opinion so i think this you know this year we've been aggressive we've been controlling the play for most of the games and uh you know that's why we are able to you know give up less goals and score more yeah uh, let me ask you about that real quick too because you know yeah it's one of those things too it's like that's my puck if you control mm-hmm. the puck you control the game um uh, yeah. having you know last year you guys go through you go eight deep on the goaltenders you know it was just a crazy year with guys injured and, and all the circumstance that happened but this year you know brian elliott and, and uh carter hart have played pretty much every game except one uh, alex Lyon came in that one game against colorado uh but knowing you got that you know that's backstop back there with the way they used to have played carter hart and Brian Elliott, um, does that does that free your mind a little bit to jump into plays, knowing that hey, if I make a mistake, these guys are going to bail me out. I'm not pulling it out of the back of my net every time. So you play a little bit more free of mind. I think it's you know both of the guys have been playing really good this year. You know, uh, there have been games where you know they where our team didn't play as well this year, but they definitely uh, helped us win the game. So. I think it definitely helps, but I think overall the team play kind of allows you, you know, to be more active, to jump in the play more because all five guys are moving, all five guys are supporting each other all over the ice. So if uh, someone goes up, the other one stays back. So I think this has been the biggest difference is uh, we are playing as a five-man unit more uh, just all over the ice. But, yeah, I think uh, the goalie's, uh, been really good this year and uh, you know been uh, helping us a lot it's such a great point for for young guys that are listening or kids that are playing the game we always talk about it as coaches at, at youth levels and it translates all the way to the NHL five-man unit uh, you know responsibility support your support your teammates and support the puck and, and you'll have a lot of success last question for you anything that you, you've been watching the past time uh, uh, doing you know playing music cards or did you watch Tiger King or anything on Netflix that you can give people <laughs> as you're going through this uh, pandemic yeah, we've been uh, we've been playing lots of board games, playing cards. Uh, uh, been playing outside when the weather was nice. So we were playing a little tennis and basketball and ping pong. Um, watched uh, uh, watched the the show called Money Heist. Oh, I just uh, finished that. Little, dude. It's fantastic, yeah, isn't it? <laughs> for for a little bit, and then uh, yeah, I don't think other than that, more just kind of. Uh, hanging out watching movies and playing playing board games and, and cards stuff like that right, last question for you when you watched money heist what, what language did you watch it in did you watch it in english english dubbed or no we watched it in english yeah okay it, it, at first it kind of bothered me the the dub actors but once you get over that it's a tremendous show um all four uh, seasons i think um i think i'm kind of used to it because uh at home a lot of in russia a lot of movies are translated and uh i guess the sometimes the lips don't really match up but you know if you don't 
but that doesn't bother you. Don't place that close of attention. You know, you're not going to be able to notice it too much. So I think because I'm used to that, I wasn't, I was, didn't even think too much about when I was watching when I was watching that. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, last thing, uh, Tokyo or Nairobi? Mm. It's a tough one, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I go. Yeah, that's definitely a tough one. She's a spitfire. <laughs> For those that don't know, watch the show. You'll, you'll understand what we, what we meant by that question. But, hey, Ivan, um, first of all, great decision to go stay with your Billet family. I, I think that's a really cool thing that you're doing and, and you know, that special relationship that you have with them. And, and I think people uh, – I'm glad that you brought it out and people know about it. But, um, hey, man, I really appreciate you taking the time. Um, hopefully you get back here in Philadelphia on the ice and you guys can culminate this thing, get this unfinished business taken care of and – and go on a run. Um, in the meantime, stay healthy, and, and I appreciate you joining us here on Flyers Daily. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. Thanks to Ivan Provorov for joining us. And, yeah, he's on uh, Money Heist as well. He didn't have a problem with the uh, dubbed English because I didn't even think about that. The fact that uh, as a uh, from a foreign area in Russia, uh, anytime that he got American movies, uh, they were probably dubbed over already. So he's used to the dubbed over audio in movies and uh if you haven't checked out money heist check it out he couldn't decide between nairobi and tokyo if you watch the show you know what i'm talking about and if you watch the show um you'll have a clear decided winner at least i did as well mine was mine was tokyo uh but i I digress uh let's get to what happened on monday 20 years ago may the 4th 2000 at 2 35 a.m keith primo scored a goal in the fifth overtime to give the Flyers a Game 4 win over the Pittsburgh Penguins. Penguins were up two games to one going into that. Flyers won Game 3 in Pittsburgh to make it a two games to one series in overtime. And then the epic night happened where it was just nobody could score. Ron Tugnut had 70 saves on 72 shots in that game. And the goaltender in that game was rookie Flyers goaltender, first-round pick. Brian Boucher. Here's my conversation with Bouche as we relive that game and talk about a lot more right here on Flyers Daily. And joining us right now on Flyers Daily, former Flyers goaltender. You see him on the NHL on NBC. Uh, it's Brian Boucher. Bouche, how you doing? Jason, uh, doing well. Surviving, man. Surviving. That, that's all we can do at this point. Uh, first, before we kind of get to some NHL stuff, uh, on Monday, May the 4th, I don't know, are you a Star Wars fan? Was May the 4th with you? Uh, not a big Star Wars fan. I got to be honest with you. No, I wouldn't. I do that. remember May the Fourth, though. It's a big date in history for me. Yeah, yeah, and it was your rookie year, um, and it's the five overtime game, the longest game in modern NHL history, um, and it was a big celebration. They replayed the game on NBC Sports Philly, and you guys are down in the series, but you come back in that game. Uh, you get a third period goal by John Leclaire, and you mm-hmm. go to five overtimes. You win that game. You run away with the series against the Penguins. So I kind of wanted to relive it a bit. And I thought you'd be a great guy to relive it through, especially as a rookie, Boosh, because um, a five-overtime game, you reach a point where you're kind of just like, I don't even care if I let one in. I just want to get this thing over with. Did, Did you ever reach that breaking point in one of those intermissions where there was a ton of them? Uh, no, I hadn't gotten to the point where I was like, I, I don't even care if we lose this game. I, I think we were so uh, – I mean, at times we were so giddy in that locker room because we couldn't believe how long we were playing. But I still think we – you know, the, the goal was still in the forefront of our mind to win the game. We knew that – I think we knew that winning this game was going to be a big moment in the series just because 
uh, it was either going to be three, one or two, two. And uh, so, no, I never got to that point, but it was uh, one of those experiences that I, I would never want to relive that again as a player. Thankfully, I never really did. I got, I was on the bench for a game. I think that went four overtimes when I was playing, when I was with San Jose uh, against Dallas and we lost in four overtimes, but I was on the bench for that one. Uh, I didn't play in that game. That was getting the ball off. I would never want to play in a game like that ever again, just because of the the mental exhaustion, the physical exhaustion. Uh, but to to have gone through it once in your career is is a is a pretty neat uh, memory for sure. Yeah, and to come out on top, I mean, it's probably a good thing that you were a rookie because you're a younger guy, so you, <laughs> your body could handle it better, and you almost don't know any better. But to have that happen in, in your first playoffs in the NHL, um, that's got to be bizarre as well. Yeah, I mean that that whole rookie year for me, uh, everything went went well. Uh, truthfully, uh, you know, you think about the, you know, I started off slow, didn't play a ton at the beginning of the year. I actually went down and played a a, a game for conditioning uh, because I wasn't playing a, a lot at the start. And uh, and as we got towards the holidays, I started to get a few more games. And then in the second half of the season. Uh, Craig Ramsey, uh, who was filling in for for uh, Roger Nielsen, decided what they wanted to do is give us three game segments, John Van Beesburg and I. So I, I would play three in a row, and then regardless of the results, uh, Beesburg would go three games in a row, and we kept flip flopping that way. And then they would make a decision come playoff time who would play. And truthfully, everything I touched that rookie year uh, turned to gold. I mean, the guys played great in front of me. Uh, the game seemed easy, almost too easy at times, and. And in the playoffs, it was a great start to the to the to the playoffs against the, the Sabers. We win in five. Uh, a little bit of a slow start against Pittsburgh, but turned it around with the two overtime victories in Pittsburgh. And and then it, you know we had a three-one lead in Jersey that we ended up blowing in the end. But uh, overall, I mean, my rookie year, I couldn't have I couldn't have had a better rookie year. And I think, uh, unfortunately for me, it was difficult the rest of my career to try and match those numbers. They were simply unrealistic to to match on a year to year basis, just because the bar was set so high. And I think that was something that I put pressure on myself to try to achieve. Um, and I probably, in hindsight, looking back, I probably should have never done that. I mean, it was just one of those years that is just magic uh, between the veterans that we had and the group that we had. with such a close knit group. Um, it's just so unfortunate that in the end we didn't pull through and and win that series against Jersey because I truly believe we would have won the Stanley Cup that year. It was that special a team. Um, which you know, you know that's the the unfortunate part of sports is that uh, sometimes you don't you don't get what you want. Um, let, let me ask you about that that kind of difference in the locker rooms. You mentioned that in San Jose you were in that four overtime game, albeit you were the backup in that game. But in this game you played. Um, what's the difference after the game in the, in those two locker rooms? How much does essentially you know losing in five overtimes? How much does that just? I mean, you guys knew, and I talked to Keith Jones and and, and Chief and. Everybody says that when we won that game, we knew the series was over. It was just tied, mm -hmm. but it was over. Yeah, I mean, the – you know, think about it from Pittsburgh's standpoint. They get two up to nothing in Pittsburgh, right? So they they, they, they go in home Philly, right? A, yeah, right. They go yeah. home with a 2 nothing lead. Oh, man, yeah. Lose game three in overtime. Okay, so 2-1. And now if they win game four, they're up 3-1 in the series. Uh, you know, and you know that that is a series. You really do. You, you have the sense that this is the, the, the most pivotal game of the series. And for us, uh, yeah, we were exhausted after the game. There were IV bags everywhere. The food was long gone. Pizzas, power bars. Um, guys were cramping. Guys were exhausted. But yet we still had this 
this, uh, this jolt of energy, this adrenaline that we knew this was the, this was the game. This was a series and it proved to be the case. We came home and I think we won game five, six to three. Delmore had a hat trick in that game. Um, yeah. Andy, you and, that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Afternoon and, game. Uh, yeah. And we just felt like, uh, we were in the driver's seat. Game six was a difficult closeout victory. I think it was a 2-1 win in Pittsburgh, and credit to the Penguins. I mean, they 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 gave us all they had in game six. It was not an easy put-away game. They ne- they did not lay down for us, uh, and Tugnut was great in that game as well. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, we knew that that game four, if, we, if, if you lose that game, that's a series. Yeah, it, it was such a pivotal moment for you guys. Um, when you're in a game like that, and I mean, you're talking about eight periods of hockey, um, and you're dealing with Yager and Lemieux. I mean, you're dealing with some great players over there, right? Um, not Barney, Barnaby. But that being said, <laughs> how do you kind of – because players go to the bench, and they sit for a bit, and then they come back out. It's a different mindset for a player, you know, shift-wise. But for a goalie, it can be back on top of you really quick. How are you trying to find mental breaks – during those overtimes and is it getting more and more difficult as you go i found the game as it wore on jason to actually slow down to a point where you could you almost could really see the plays developing the referees were letting us play i mean there was a ton of holding a lot of you know stick work there wasn't a lot of pretty plays it 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 really felt like the, the pace of the game was going to a crawl and um the only thing that you were just trying to battle was just your your exhaustion, you know, like cramps were becoming a problem for me, especially in that fourth overtime, uh, any sudden movements, you know, you could feel it and you're like, Oh man, the last thing you want to do is seize up. And sometimes when the cramps come, there's no stopping them. And uh, that's all I was really nervous about from a physical standpoint. But look, when the whistle blows and you know, you just have time to kind of like decompress a little bit, you just do it when you can, you know what I mean? And just try and find a little bit of a break there as much as possible because when that puck drops, you got to be on top of it uh, knowing that uh, one mistake could, could cost you the game and, and eventually the series. So it's a, it's a tough grind. I mean, like I said, it's one of those games that I, I would never want to do again, especially when you get to the rink that afternoon at like four thirty, four o'clock, you have no idea that you're in for a, a marathon of a night, right? You're preparing for three periods and maybe a little over time. You don't think that it's going to go till two thirty-five in the morning. Yeah. Usually you can, you know, get out of the game and maybe get, get to the bar for a couple of cocktails and not knowing you missed last call by over 40 minutes at that point. Um, let me take you into the fifth overtime because it, you guys go into the fifth overtime and I think it was 33 seconds into the fifth overtime. They had a, a couple of great chances to end it on you. I mean, when you come out after you've sat for the intermission, there's just a feeling like every, like your your equipment's almost cold in a way, you know. Your, mm. your sweat's not at the same, and it, it feels different. Uh, how did you summon the focus to make those couple of saves? Because they were great chances. I mean, and to come back in an overtime and lose thirty seconds into it, you're like, geez, why did we even wait? You know? Yeah, but, right. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, talk about that sequence, and then eventually, you guys, you know, ten minutes later, basically score and win the game. Yeah, I think uh, I, you know, I can't remember. Uh, those particular saves and how I refocus truthfully. I mean, you just try, you know, when you get to the, you know, you talk about the breaks during in between whistles, certainly in, in between periods, that's a time to kind of mentally decompress for, you know, five, six, seven minutes. And then you start to gear your mind back up to preparing yourself. I just remember at the start of that five overtime, getting out there and stretching in the crease 
and I start, I was starting to cramp up good. Like now if I stretch one side of my body, the other side cramped up and I was like, Whoa, I, I better just not stretch at all. Yeah. Like that's exactly what I did. I was like, I, cause if I imagine if I, yeah, if I seize up here, you know? Um, but, uh, yeah, I just, I, I don't know. I, I mean, you just get in the moment, man. Like, you, you know, you just lose yourself you, when that puck drops, you, you know, you're, you've got a singular focus and, uh, fortunately I was able to come up with a few saves, I guess, uh, you know, I felt like we had the better of the chances throughout that whole hockey game. I did end up making 57 saves in the end, but I, I felt like we were the better team. We deserved to win because we, we had better chances and credit to Ron Tugnut. I mean, he was fantastic in that game. And he was a big reason why the, why the Penguins were in that series altogether because of the, the way he played. Uh, I'm just so glad that I didn't give up a, a, you know, a brutal goal to lose the game. You know, when your team plays so well in front of you and you don't give up a real stinker to lose it. Um, you know, that's, that's, uh, that's all I'm glad about. Uh, it's great. Tug Knight with 70 saves in the game. It, is that the most saves you ever had in an NHL game? I don't know. Uh, it might be. Yeah. You're supposed to know it that. might be. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I, I remember in man. junior, <clears throat> I remember in junior, I had uh 65 saves in a game. Uh, I don't know why that one sticks out. It's I, a regulation. The NHL, I mean, play it. Yeah. Regulation. Oof. Yeah. Uh, got smoked in uh, in Tacoma. What, uh, you, lost did like, you stay on the bus? I don't know. We, I think we lost like eight to two that day, and uh, I think I had seventy three shots, and I was mad because I thought the shot clock guy missed a few shots. You know what I mean? <laughs> did you hate that? You look up, oh, yeah, like, dude. I just made three saves on that. That wasn't just one. Yeah, and he only gives you one. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. All goaltenders know that stuff. They're looking up at the shot clock. You know, all their the livelihood. It's all about the stats. Yeah, yeah. It's about gold. Yeah, it's about uh, save percentage. And you're like, man, you're really screwing me here. Um, I got to was- think though, the 57 saves in the NHL is probably the highest I had in my yeah. career. Yeah. Although I think I had one game in Phoenix against Detroit. I had. I think I might have had 50 plus uh, in a tie. I think maybe we tied the hockey game back in the day when we had ties. Did you ever give a goal up in Phoenix? I mean, you went five straight with uh, without giving one up. <laughs> nah, yeah, that was my only time. Those were my only five good games in Phoenix. Aside from that, it was a nightmare. See, that's crazy because you won the you had the the shutout streak. You won five games in that shutout streak, and you, you, I think you won ten games the whole season. Yeah, don't that's remind a, that's me. That's a. I mean, but how's that even possible? Like, it's not like you had the shutout streak. It's not like you were playing in front of the Devils with Danico and Scott Stevens right. and, and a great decor. And, and Jason, I, and, and, I was a third, and I was a third-string goalie to start that season. Uh, who was I played early on. Berkey? Uh, Sean Burke and Zach Burke, uh, who uh, at the end of the year prior came in, called up, played like eight or nine games, played great. So they gave him a one-way contract, and we had a three-goalie rotation going. Cool. I think I played, I played a game in Tampa um, early in the year and lost. And after that, I was kind of relegated to third string and wasn't practicing with the team, just, you know, practicing with Benny Allaire, the goalie coach. And so it was, it, you know, and then there was a couple of injuries and I ended up getting back in there and now, and then I got that opportunity and ran off five in a row, which was, seems, so, you know, to only end up this end the season with 10 wins, you know, goes to show we, we, we didn't have the greatest of teams that year, which made it even more improbable that we would do something like that. Yeah. Benoit Lair, great goalie coach. Um, let me ask you, go back to the game real quick against the Penguins. Yep. Um, Van Beesbrook was your backup. How, how was he during this whole thing? Cause I mean, Beezer was around a long time. And like you said, you guys were kind of going three on three off through that regular season, but you, you were carrying the card 
uh, there in the playoffs. But what was he like as an asset for you, you know, through all five of those overtimes? Beezer was a true pro, great uh, partner. Uh, and, you know, looking back on it, as I became a veteran, not an easy pill for him to swallow, mm-hmm. to have a young kid come in and, you know, he signed in Philadelphia to be the goaltender that was going to finally get this team over the hump. And uh, I know the year prior against Toronto, probably not the series he was looking for, um, you know, where they had a, they, you know, Flyers had a good team that year too in 98, 99. Uh, and they, they lost first round in Toronto, but you know, he was great to me. I mean, I can't say enough. I mean, he could have handled a lot differently, but he was supportive. He was there for me. He was a team guy. He coached in the locker room. He was uh, vocal in the locker room. He was a leader. Um, you know, he was every bit as important as guys like Craig Berube and Keith Jones and Eric Desjardins. I mean, just because he wasn't playing didn't mean we didn't hear from Beezer. He was always chiming in in the locker room, giving his two cents, being positive, encouraging guys and encouraging me. And if he doesn't do that, I don't know if I'm able to do what I can do uh, because I certainly felt a little uncomfortable as a young guy, right? It's an uneasy situation. You got this guy that you watched uh, as a kid, the guy that you idolized, you know, uh, as, as a fellow American playing in the National Hockey League, you get so much respect for him and you almost feel bad that, you know, you've kind of taken his spot, you know, but yet you, you want to do a job, right? You know, you have goals of your own. And I just, I'm so thankful that he handled it the way he did as a true pro because uh, if he didn't, if he made it uncomfortable for me or was a little bit grumpy, um, I, I can assure you that I wouldn't have been able to play the way I did. Yeah, he wasn't exactly like a, an Eddie Belfour type. Exactly. Yeah, and exactly. Did, did you ever play with Belfour? I didn't, but I've heard stories, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. uh, and look, I, and I understand it, right? Because as a goaltender, uh, it's one of the reasons why. Well, yeah, and it's one of the reasons why I didn't want my son to be a goalie. I mean, I understand that, uh, you know, there's one net, right? And it's a highly competitive situation, and one guy plays. And if you're the guy that's not playing, it's a tough it's a tough road to get to the top. So I think that's uh, – unfortunately, you have some situations where people handle it certain ways, and other people handle it with class and professionalism. And uh, I can say that Beezer was, was top-notch, first class the whole way through in that situation. I just did the uh, player profile, Brian Elliott, a couple of days ago. He's 35 now, Boosh. He, he's played in the league for a long time. He's been a starter for a long time. He's had some good success, got no conference final uh, with St. Louis, and uh, has been in Philadelphia for now three years. But at 35, um, I've, I've always said this, that if you're a guy that was a starter in the league and you're willing to accept that role as a pseudo 1B backup, um, you can make a pretty good money for a bunch of years. Some guys just mm-hmm. can't do it. Um, Brian Elliott's a guy that I think can, um, how hard is it as a veteran player to kind of a, let the, the young guy take over. Cause you were the young guy. And then you were in the other situation as well. And then B play every 14, 21 days in the NHL. And a lot of times the game you get is not one that's advantageous because it's the back to back on the road, whatever it might be. Yeah, it's really difficult. Um, and if you've had parts of your career or, you know, earlier on in your career where maybe you were sharing the net or you were a backup. Um, that's valuable experience for you when you get to that moment where you have to take a back seat. Whereas guys like, you know, Patrick Wah, Dominic Hasek, uh, Curtis Joseph, Martin Brodeur, these guys, um, 
you know, they were always the starters. They were, there was never any sharing of the net for the most part. You know what I mean? So to ask them to hang on to their career and, and stick around for another three, four years to be uh, a protege to a young kid, no chance. Like they, they, the ego doesn't allow a, a player of that stature to relegate themselves to that position. But if you're a guy that, you know, has had to do it before in your career, then, um, you know, that's something that you can, you can do, you know? And I think for Brian Elliott, he recognizes that, you know, look, if you want to stay in the league and you want to, you want to make a, a pretty good living, uh, you may have to take a little bit of a backseat and uh, in doing so you're going to get some situations that maybe aren't ideal, but I think he's a true pro. I think he's a guy that prepares well. I think he's a guy that's been through a lot of experiences and I think he leans on those to, to get him through and give his team quality starts. And that's what you have to do. And if you can do it, you can hang on to a career. And if you can't, or you're unwilling to do it, then you might find yourself on the outside looking in. Yeah. A guy like Steve Mason wasn't willing to accept that role or even battle for it. And he's look at that. He's out of the league like that quickly, you know, and it's over like that. And, and I, and I think, yeah, you're right. And I think sometimes the mindset is whether it's the, the ego doesn't want, doesn't want to give in and be that guy. Mm -hmm. uh, but also, I think it's also dependent, let's be real, it's dependent on how much money you've made in your career too, you know? Yeah. Like if financially, you know, you can sit there and say, you know, I've made enough money, right? I, I don't need to play. I'm not 100%. My body's not 100%. My passion's not there. I don't really want to do that. You know what I mean? There's all different circumstances as to why some people can and can't do it. But I think by and large, when you see a guy that is an alpha dog, a guy that is a, a, a true starter, to me, the ego just has a hard time for them to say, yeah, I'll play 25 games. And yeah, I'll take one every seven starts. Like, yeah, they're not, that's not how they're wired. You know what I mean? They're wired to be the guy. They want the ball at the end of the game. You know, you think Michael Jordan would have taken, you know, he say, yeah, I'll, I'll be a bench player. You know what I mean? For what? You know what I mean? Yeah. Michael Jordan, you know, he's a legend, you know? And I think that's, uh, that's the difference between and they're, they're, those guys are very, you know, few and far between for the most part, guys are, they're grinders. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're going to hang in there and play as long as they can, because they understand, you know, this is a way to make a good living, uh, regardless of whether or not you're the star or they're not. It's, it's so interesting to me too, because, um, like a goalie has so little control on the, on the ice that you want to control everything else. And one of the things that you want to control is I want to be in there. And I want to, I want to dictate the outcome of the game because as mm -hmm. that last line of defense is part of that, that were you, were you a bit of a control freak with everything else because you couldn't control in the game. I've, I've said that oh. a lot of goalies have become OCD because of it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, for sure. I think, uh, in a lot of, in a large part of my life, I'm like that. You know what I mean? I think we all crave certainty in our lives, right? Um, and I think the the frustrating part is when you can't control a situation, or you you know you can't bring certainty to your life. You kind of get a little anxious, or you know you get nervous. Um, and I think uh, you have to remind yourself the only thing in life that is certain is uncertainty. And I, and I think that's you know that's you know you got to roll with the punches. You got to understand. And as uh, a guy that, uh, you know, you want to be the number one guy, you want to be the leader of the team, you want to be the go-to guy. Uh, sometimes it's not going to go the way you want it. And you got to, you got to find a way to, to get through that. And I think that's where guys who are really focused on like not results, but focused on their process and how they approach day after day 
and how they approach their work in a diligent manner and in a, in an organized manner, those guys have more, cause that's something that you can control, right? Yep. Like I think that's where you find that control and get less worried about is the coach going to play me, you know, and less, less worried about, am I going to win tomorrow night? You know, those are things you can't control, you know, and, but what you can't control, you know, your attitude when you come to the rink, are you going to be a worker? Are you going to stay after practice and work on some things that you're deficient at, you know, and you can build confidence through those controllables. And I think that's, that's one of the things that Carter Hart's really good at, at a young yeah. age. He's kind of figured that out. And that's why he's a guy that's going to have success. He's not caught up in the results. He's not caught up in being one of the flyer greats in the next Bernie Perrant and buying in all that. Uh, he really strikes me as a guy that is worried about what do I have to get better at? What can I work at? What is my process? And go off of that. Yeah, I, I've talked about that so many times with him. The rigidity in everything he does and everything that he can control so that when you get on the ice and you have to react to things that you can't control, um, then it, it feels less of, of over an overwhelming feeling that you actually yeah. do have some control because you refer to your technical abilities, you refer to your preparation, your stretching. All of those things, it's pretty crazy. Um, and, and that's, and Jason, and that's why like people misunderstand goalies as being like weird or, you know, introverts because they have to get in that space because it's, uh, it, it is a difficult position. You know what I mean? It's not like if you're, if you're a position player, you, you know, things aren't going your way. You bobble a couple pucks, get covered. Okay. Next I see somebody with the puck, I'm going to run them. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Uh, I, as a goaltender, you cannot do that. There is Florida no high. going out and trying to hit somebody. Yeah, you know, you have to, you have to let the game come. Yeah. You have to let the game come to you. And those are all things that are uncontrollable. I, I might go 10 minutes without a shot, so yeah. I can't control that. But what I can control on off days is how I work and how I prepare and maybe my routine. And that gives me some comfort. So that's why maybe goaltenders don't talk to guys on game day. Although there are more that do talk, but you know what I mean? Cause that's something that they can control. Yeah, I mean, at every level that I played at, and there's always times when you walk into the room, you go, boys, I suck tonight. You can't hide from it. You know what I mean? Like, I no. couldn't stop a beach ball from the blue line. And no matter how well you guys played, it wasn't going to matter because I just – I I blew. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's just the way And that's is. frustrating. That That is really frustrating because you know when your team played top-notch, right? right? And you didn't And you let deliver. them down. Mm -hmm. And that that's a, that's a hard – that's a hard thing for a goaltender to bounce back from that and, and deliver an A game the next night. Uh, and, and typically your teammates will say the right things to the media afterwards and say, you know, uh, you know, it's not the goalie's fault, but you know, we all know, we all hold each other accountable yeah. inside, but nobody would point fingers, but you know, you know, you know, when you didn't hold your end of the bargain. And that's, that's a frustrating thing as a goaltender. Cause it's, 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 a, it's one of those positions you cannot hide, you know, a winger who turns it over, you know, he might, yeah, he might, they might call him out, but it's not like he's, you know, the fan, the, the, the general fan's not going to remember that. Uh, he's yeah. going to remember that the goalie didn't, didn't make the save. Yeah. The cookie that he gave up and you would lose a game four to two and you gave up four goals on, on 14 shots and the other guy's got 38 saves. You're going, Oh man, I, even walk <laughs> out of that locker room. I feel like crap, <laughs> but it happened. Then I got to answer you. Then I got to answer your questions post game. You know what yeah. I mean? Uh, well, I'm not booking you know, your post game on that night. Boosh. <laughs> <laughs> I used to love this. What happened on that third goal? You know, like that was, that was the, uh, the question of like, okay, are you ready to incriminate yourself on this one? Like, uh, or are you going to pass the buck? And, you know, I think it's a good time to stand up and be a man and say, you know what? I, I, I was, get there. I, I, yeah, I didn't make the save. You know what I mean? And 
nothing I can do about it now. I mean, I certainly don't feel good about it. You just get back to work the next day. Yeah, and a lot of you and you want to say, "Well, did you see where my D man was? He was in freaking Siberia, and he's on the, this guy's on the back door." Not to mention, it's like Lemieux, <laughs> who's gonna right. hurry, right? <laughs> right. Uh, or you might just want to say, "You know what? I missed it." Next question. Yeah, you know? just get out of it quick. Like, come on, <laughs> you know, you know what happened. You saw it. What do you need me to say it for? You know? Yeah. Well, they just they they want you to. They want you. It's a chance. It's a chance. I think it's a, yeah, right. It's either that you blame somebody else or it's a chance to hold yourself accountable. Yeah. And, and everybody loves when when goalies do that. Um, Boosh, um, hopefully the game gets back on the ice here. We're hearing so many different things of a 2014 playoff field, trying to finish the regular season. We'll see where it goes. I know you want to get back between the benches on uh, the NHL and NBC. I was watching uh, uh, the winter classic uh, uh, last night between Dallas and um, God, why can't I remember who they were playing all of a sudden? Nashville. Nashville, yeah. Boy, those Dallas pants were awful, by the way. Um, watching the games and uh, watching all these old games. Um, last question for you. Have you ever gone back and watched the five-overtime game? Did you watch it on Monday night? I, I watched it on Monday night, and I was uh, a little bit disappointed. I was like, because they, they, they showed regulation, and then they cut right to the fifth overtime. Yeah. I say, how about we watch this whole game in its entirety uh, from start to finish? Let's relive that moment, you know? So – I, I did watch that. That was the first time I watched it um, on Monday night, uh, but it wasn't in its entirety. I want to see overtime one, overtime two, three, four, five. Uh, see if I can hang in there. I can guarantee you that the hockey is it is it is atrocious. I mean, it was compared to today's game. First of all, there was a oh, yeah. two line pass in there. You yeah, couldn't make a two line pass. Oh, JJ he's on side. I'm like, he's in the neutral zone. Oh, yeah, like, crap. <laughs> you know. In the room behind the nets because they changed the configurations of where the goal line is. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? No trapezoid. And, uh, yeah. So it's wild. But, uh, yeah, there was a lot of clutching and grabbing. There was, you know, it was a different game back then. I, I don't know if there was a lot of real quality scoring chances. But in the moment when you think about it, next goal wins, that certainly makes it uh, for high drama. Yeah. Well, that kind of led to that point in the league where they shut it down for a year to kind of clean all that stuff up and – uh, open the game up a bit. Uh, Boosh, stay healthy, man. I appreciate you doing this, and uh, best of luck through all this. Hopefully back at the ring soon and, and broadcasting NHL games. Thanks. Always great to be with you, Jason. Always great to catch up with Brian Boucher, uh, the NHL on NBC, and that top crew between the benches. Boy, we're hoping that he's going to be out there calling games uh, for whether it's a resumption of this regular season or whether it is uh, uh, just a straight to playoffs with a 24-team field. We shall see. Uh, did hear uh, Elliot Friedman uh, talking on NHL Network Radio. Um, he seems to be leaning more in the direction that the NHL is not going to complete the regular season and would more likely go with a 24-team playoff field. A couple of reasons why. First and foremost, uh, number one, uh, it's less players that you're going to have to test and, uh, and make sure don't get exposed or expose other players. That's number one. Uh, plus, there's been some uh, vocal uh you know, players getting vocal about having no desire to go back if they're not going back to play for anything. Why risk their health if they're going back to just finish out a season? The NHL will try and mitigate that damage perhaps with a 2014 playoff field. We'll see if that comes to fruition as well. All right, that's going to put a wrap on your Friday edition of Flyers Daily. Thanks to Brian Boucher. Thanks to Ivan Provorov. And thanks to you for listening to another week of Flyers Daily. We'll be back Monday again with Brian Elliott, and uh, we'll keep you updated on all the NHL news and notes as they happen as well. In the meantime, everybody stay healthy, and thanks for listening, and have a great weekend.